0: Father, we uh, we come to you now and declare that we do need you. We need you. I pray, Lord, that you would work in our hearts this morning. I pray that your spirit would have his way with us, that we would not put up resistance, that we would instead be sensitive and responsive to the moving of your spirit. I pray that you would uh, work in us this morning, work in us individually and in us as a congregation. Pray that you would be lifted up, pray that you would be glorified, pray that you would be pleased by this morning. Lord, as we come to your word, we uh, declare that we need you there too. Thank you that you have given us your word. You've spoken truth to us that uh, tells us about how we can know you and uh, who we are apart from you and then who we are in Christ, tells us how to live this life, what to expect from the future. Your Bible tells us true things about you. Lord, help us now to understand, help us to engage in what you have for us. Lord, I pray that uh, you would help us to set aside those things that would compete for our attention, compete for our affections this morning, those things that would distract us in heart and in mind, Lord, keep us from wandering in our minds, help us to be focused on what you have for us. Lord, ultimately, I pray that you would move, that you would use your word proclaimed, that you would do your work in our hearts, and that you would receive the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and open your Bibles, if you would, to uh, Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2. It's good to see you guys here this morning. And I saw uh, various people here this morning I hadn't seen for a while. So uh, it's great to see you all. While you're turning to Colossians chapter uh, 3, chapter 2 rather, I kind of want to reflect a little bit as I was putting this together and And thinking about what I was going to talk to you guys about. And uh, I was thinking back to my own uh, conversion when I first became a believer, which was about 24 years ago this time of year. And uh, I remember uh, everything was new and everything was exciting and everything was wonderful, right? I remember odd things like being in a baseball game and and making an error. And then after it was over thinking, I don't really care because I'm going to heaven. Who cares about an e on my on my record right and um, you know things like that like the 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 sky was brighter and the clouds were more beautiful and i I would stand outside at night and just stare at the moon. I was just amazed that the God who created all of that would care to know me and that he had called me to be his own and and I got to be a child of God and it, everything was new and fascinating right and I would tell people about the gospel and and uh, I was just uh, jazzed, I was pumped and uh, and it was amazing. It was an amazing time of life. And, and, um, so that was, uh, you know, towards the end of my senior year. And, uh, I remember I went away to Bible school in January of the next year. So I'd been a Christian about nine months and I went away to Bible school. And I remember uh, my first day or one of my first days on campus talking with a guy there named Doug. And, um, and he, uh, he was asking me, you know, about my testimony and how I came to know the Lord and, and things like that. And I was, you know, I told him what what I just told you guys. And, and then I said, yeah, but I, I kind of feel like I'm I'm in the doldrums now. And uh, I, I feel like, you know, like I've been a Christian so long. Everything's kind of boring now, you know. Nine months I've been a Christian. <laughs> and so, but, uh, so, and he looked at me pretty funny, just like you guys looked at me like, really? Nine months and you're, you know. Not that it was old, not that it was boring, but, you know, some of the shininess had kind of worn off. And now it was the real business of the Christian life. And, and, and that, that, you know, it, that feels different than that newness of when you're a brand new Christian and everything's new and exciting and fascinating. And, and, uh, and now you're dealing with the fact that I carry around my own enemy in my heart. <laughs> that's no fun, right? And, and you get to deal with your own sin. And so and that, that, that's what I meant. I didn't have any of those words to tell Doug. All I told him was that I was in the doldrums. And uh, that's what I meant. Right. And so um, dealing dealing with your own sin and how to wrestle with the, that enemy that you carry around in yourself. And and I remember one day at Bible school in Texas, we were we were challenged, oddest thing a just strange challenge. We were challenged to see how many days we could go without sinning. That was the challenge. Like and I'm sure the teacher was thinking exactly what you guys were thinking. Like what? First of all, why didn't you think of that before? <laughs> you know. And second of all, like good luck. You know. How far how far are you going to make that? And so I remember thinking, wow, I've never really made a concerted effort like that to fight my sin, like day in and day out. What an amazing concept. You know. And it was kind of new to me and and uh, kind of opened my eyes. And then I got to thinking, uh, you know, that I really wouldn't make it very long, right? My track record wouldn't be that great uh, because, I, because I sin, and uh, I have that deep down. And so um, that all by way of introducing our topic this morning. The title of our message today is The Believer's Problem, right? And, and probably you wouldn't have to think too hard to realize what your own problem is, right? It's your sin, and, and, and that's our situation, right? We, we've, been, we've been declared to be holy in Christ Right. Positionally, we are holy before him. And we've been we've been told to be holy as he is holy. OK, so now we have that instruction. Now, how do we do that? How do we do that? And so today, the focus of our message is really going to be trying to work through and give you some practical helps on how to grow in our sanctification, how to become more like Christ in our daily walk. We've already been declared to be righteous forensically before God. He has said when he looks at us, he sees the righteousness of his son. But then when you and I go out these doors, we realize I don't really live that out very well. Do I? And so we need practical holiness as well. We've been we've been told to be holy as he is holy. And so uh, everywhere in scripture, believers are told we're to flee sin, we're to resist sin, we're to remove sin from our lives. That's a pretty normal message in the Bible. And you have to go, you don't have to go very far before you run into that, right? Well, our purpose today is to try and to see the clarity that the Bible gives on how to do that, how to fight sin in our lives and how to grow in this area of practical holiness in daily living day to day. How do we do that? First, though, I want to look here in uh, the end of Colossians chapter two and look at a method that is very often tried and that the Colossians were trying, but it's doomed from the start. Doomed from the start. So let me read from Colossians chapter 2, I'm just going to read that last paragraph there. Paul says to the, to the Colossians, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings, These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And so he's kind of correcting them there. And he's saying, you're trying to be holy. okay, that's good. But you're going about it the wrong way. Your method is doomed from the start. First of all, it's rules upon rules. That's the way they've decided they're going to do it is is put rules out there. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, right? And, and uh, they've decided that that's the way that they're going to go about this is by laying up very clear instructions so that you can see what you should and should not do because that will be helpful, right? Well, you would think that would be helpful. When we lived in Russia, we were there for a total of four years altogether. There are old school Russian churches that have you know like walls just like we do i was thinking of this as i was sitting here last week and i was looking up and thinking that would be a great place for the russians to write their list of the things the sins uh if you commit those sins you will be kicked out of the church and that's what they do they write them up on the wall and so it's it's up there very clearly so if you commit this sin you you know everyone's everyone's clear right we're all on the same page we know if we do those things we will be kicked out of the church it should result in a pretty holy church, right, where everyone stays away from those kind of things, right? And they, I mean, they thought about it, what ones they put up there. They didn't just do it willy-nilly. You know, pretty important stuff that they put up there, stay away from those things. But well, what happens? Well, we, we still have sin, right, and we're afraid to do those things, but we're kind of we're drawn to them. And sooner or later, we end up doing one or more of those things. Well, then what do we do? We don't want to be kicked out of the church. So I'm certainly not going to tell you about it. Right? I'm not going to talk to any other believer about it. I'm going to zip my lip. I'm not saying anything. And I'm going to go about my life as if I'm doing just fine. Because I don't want you to know that I broke you know, number four or whatever. And I should be kicked out of the church. So it does not result in greater holiness. Instead, it results in a legalism. Right? It results in everyone knowing they're supposed to follow those rules. We have them clearly written on the wall. It also results in me hiding my sin from you when I break those rules. So now, not only did I break that rule, now I'm lying to you. <laughs> when I come and say, I'm doing just fine, thanks. Just fine, right? Just don't look too closely at number four because that's really bad. But I'm doing just fine, right? And so that's, that's the result. They're, they're trying to do behavior modification. They're trying to keep you from doing things, by the way, which you shouldn't do, <laughs> right? It's very clear we shouldn't do those things. But writing them up on the wall as a list is not going to help. At best, a list of rules can result in some behavior modification, But the root of the issue remains untouched. And that's the problem. So the strategies, the Colossians were familiar with the method of rules upon rules, was doomed from the outset. They weren't just mindless rules, though. By all appearances, they seemed to very plausible strategies. They were plausible strategies, like as if we got together and we decided, okay, we are not holy enough, all right? Let's have a meeting and we will decide what things we should stay away from, right? So maybe this area is a great difficulty for us, so we'll make some rules so that we don't even get anywhere near that area, right? Let's say, you know, if the Internet uh, is a problem for us, right, and, and, okay, there's Internet pornography, all right, Well, what are we going to do? Let's make a rule that nobody in the church can use the Internet, Okay, is that a good rule? That will keep us from Internet pornography, by the way, right? So let's make that rule. Let's, let's build a fence even farther away, right, so that now it's bad to be on the Internet. So do you think we should write that up on the wall, sure, let's write it up on the wall. That way we'll all stay away from Internet porn. That's, that's kind of what was, it was well thought out, right? They thought about it from beginning to end. And came up with some plans and and they brainstormed right and they thought strategically and they and they thought about their context and all that kind of stuff and they, and they they came up with some rules, some ways to avoid those things. Uh, it sounds you know reasonable ish right there are stages of parenting that are kind of like that you know when, when a child goes from not being able to walk to being able to walk to being able to get into stuff. <laughs> Right? Then all of a sudden, you, you, parents go into high gear trying to figure out, okay, how do we establish, you know, first of all, put everything valuable up high, <laughs> everything dangerous up high. But then you get beyond that, and you get to where you can kind of reason with the child. And the child can't understand why they shouldn't do this particular thing. And it would take forever to, for you to try and explain it to them, so you just make the rule that you can't do that thing, right? whatever that thing is. And, and so you just make that rule. And then, okay, well, they get that. They're not supposed to do that. They don't have any clue why. They don't know the reason behind it. And then something else comes up and you make another rule about something else. And you make another rule about something else. And for all of you parents, how enjoyable is that phase of parenting? How successful is that phase of parenting? Praise the Lord. That's a short phase of parenting because pretty soon you need to help your child understand some some concepts, right, about maybe respecting the property of others, about danger. You know, you don't stick your finger in the light socket because bad things will happen to you, Right. You need, to, you need to get some basic concepts. That stage of parenting where you're just making rule after rule after rule will drive you nuts, right? And I have this kind of a running joke with my kids. I have rules for life. And uh, I'll, I'll randomly come up with this rule for life based upon a situation. And, uh, it, you know, I, I've joked that I should write a book about it. But the fact is I don't have any idea what they all are anymore. I just set them, I just set them based on the situation. And it seemed like a good rule for life. And I don't have any idea how many there are. Seems plausible, right? But it is not the way to parent, and you're not helping your child, right? Through a, through a little phase, yeah, you keep them from you know, killing themselves, that, and that's a good thing, right? But that's not the ultimate, the only goal of parenting, right? We're, we're trying to uh, raise a child who understands the world and understands life. So they, were, they had rules upon rules, but they weren't just dumb rules. They weren't just silly. They had thought about them. But the problem is they had been attacking the wrong target been attacking the wrong target see the body is not the culprit look look how he finishes there at the end of the end of chapter two these these indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body it's our body that sins after all why not punish it right why not keep it from doing that thing well the body is not the culprit we can take steps to curb the expression of sin in our lives by certain rules for example if we made it so fallon cannot access the internet you know the whole thing make it like just put up some gizmo that zaps the internet and all of fallon so there would be no internet porn in fallon right okay well, all we're doing is we're stopping the expression of the sin that is still right here that's what those rules and those efforts kind of do they don't get to the root of the problem and that's that's kind of what paul was warning the colossians against it's it's kind of like you know in fallon we understand weeds right <laughs> It seems like uh, growing something productive is pretty difficult. But weeds, now they will, you know, they'll show up. And if you go along and take your weed eater and just cut the weed off, you're going to see that weed again, right? It's going to make another appearance. And that's kind of what we're doing when we stop the expression of our sin without getting to the heart of the issue. You've got to pull that thing up by the root. So the doomed method of the Colossians was that they they tried to devise ways to squelch the expression of sin without ever actually getting to the heart of the matter, the, the root of the sin. That was their method, and it was doomed. So let's look at God's method now. He says, first of all, that we are to deal death to the root of the sin. It's a much different fight than putting a list on the wall. First of all, for uh, A there, we're going to mortify the deeds of the flesh, mortify. I'm guessing you don't use that word a ton. It means to put to death, to cause the death of something, to choke out its life, to 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 end its vitality, right? If someone's mortified about something, that means it was so shocking to them that it almost killed them, right? But we're going to mortify the deeds of the flesh. and In this next section here, uh, I'm going to refer a lot to a man named John Owen who is a, a Puritan theologian and pastor and he he published a book in 1656 called Of the Mortification of Sin in Believers and if you ever have a desire to exercise your reading ability in English to what what is the most difficult thing you can possibly read in English I recommend John Owen okay you have to just focus and squint and work and there's gold in there there's gold it's worth the effort but but you're going to end up just exhausted after a page or two and, and you won't be able to rip through it too fast. But uh, I'm, I'm going to be referring to that book of mortification of sin in believers. And uh, there's a lot of wisdom in there. And he's in that book, he's talking about Romans 8.13, the second half of Romans 8.13. And we're going to talk about that in our passage. But first, I want to look right here in Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. Moving on from... This uh, this failed method, the doomed method that they had there. I want to read Colossians chapter three and verses five through nine. Paul says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you put to death, mortify. What is earthly in you? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And then he continues. He says, put these sinful sorts of things away from you. He says, put off the old self along with its practices. He says, put to death what is earthly in you. Mortify it kill it. These things, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and all that. Put that away from you and put it to death. Keep your fingers here in Colossians and flip to Romans. Romans chapter 8. We're going to come back to Colossians, so don't don't lose it there. Because he says a very similar thing in in Romans chapter 8, looking at, at uh, 12 and 13, he says, I still hear turning, so I'll wait. Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. By the Spirit, putting to death the deeds of the body. Put to death. Put to death. Mortify. Kill. And when he refers to flesh here, or the body in some versions, he's talking about indwelling sin. He's not talking about this stuff that you can touch. Right? This isn't evil. This is not evil. It's our indwelling sin. Right? It's our corrupted nature, the want to in us to sin. That's what he's talking about. You see, sin's penalty was completely defeated on the cross of Jesus, but its presence and its influence in our lives lingers even now. I have a, quote, a couple of quotes here from Owen regarding Romans 8:13. He says, "The choicest believers, who are assuredly freed from the condemning power of sin, freed from the condemning power. I mean, we're not under its condemnation anymore." The choicest believers who are assuredly freed from the condemning power of sin ought yet to make it their business all their days to mortify mortify the indwelling power of sin. All their days, this is their business. They're free from the condemning power. Now we need to put it to death in our lives. He goes on. The mortification of indwelling sin remaining in our mortal bodies... That it may not have life and power to bring forth the works or deeds of the flesh is the constant duty of believers. I'll read that again. The mortification of indwelling sin remaining in our mortal bodies is the constant duty of believers. It's to be what we're about. Fleshing out in our lives the holiness that was purchased for us on the cross. Not just the forgiveness, but Christ's holiness being applied to us Sin was put to death, its it's condemning power over us was taken away at the cross, and now our lives are to be lived minimizing, getting rid of, killing the influence and power of that sin over our lives practically. God's method is to deal death, to mortify the deeds of the flesh. But he's not done. Stay in, in Romans 8, I should have told you that. Romans 8... If by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. This is done empowered by the Spirit. It can only be done empowered by the Spirit. Remember the rules on the wall? Didn't help. Didn't help. The monks living on a pole in the desert in Egypt? Doesn't help. It has to be done empowered by the Spirit. The mortification of sin can't be done by us alone. It's the work of the Holy Spirit alone. Only He can do it. So while you're there in Romans chapter 8... Let's try and understand that a little bit, about the Spirit working within us for that purpose. Chapter 8, look at verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. what is saying there is that believers, all believers, have the Spirit of God dwelling within them. Almighty, infinite, holy God, by His Spirit, dwells within the believer. He says in verse 11, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, is there power in that spirit? Is there power to give life in that spirit who raised Jesus from the dead? Of course. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. He lives in you and he's a life-giving spirit. He's the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead and he can give life and will give life to your mortal bodies. For what purpose? To overcome sin in your life to put to death the deeds of the flesh. One more passage. Look down all the way to 26. Chapter 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. That's a good thing. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Are you encouraged to have people pray for you? When you're going through a difficult time in life or face a big decision, it's encouraging to have someone praying for you. The Holy Spirit prays for you. The Holy Spirit of God himself who knows the mind of God. Who has perfect, ultimate, infinite, and eternal relationship with the Father. He prays for you. And he lives in you. And he's a life-giving spirit who brings life, gives life to your mortal bodies. That's why we can have the power by the Holy Spirit to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Because he lives in us. What's impossible for him? Nothing. Nothing. Think about your own power. I think back to when I was given that initial challenge at Bible school in Texas. See how long you can live without sinning, right? And I thought about it, I thought, that's a neat... Oh, man. <laughs> I thought it was a great assignment. You know, like, I should do that. that. That would have been a great idea. I should have tried that. I can't believe I've been a Christian nine months and never just tried that specific thing. And then I realized how often I sin. I realized my own heart. And the result wasn't joy. And that was the goal of their assignment, that we would understand our own hearts and the sinfulness of our own hearts. We do not have the power. We don't have the power by some list on the wall. We don't have the power by some accountability between us. We don't have the power in any way to put to death the deeds of the flesh. But we're not alone. The Spirit of God dwells in us. The Spirit of God who gives life and who intercedes for us. He dwells in us to help us. I'm going to talk about some practical, very practical things in this next section. Letter C there is how. How. I'm going to give you a list of items. And it's going to be a list. It's nine points long. So I I gave you some extra space, but you're still going to have to write small, right? A couple things I want to say about it before I get to the list here. First of all, is the basics, the basic concept of the list is that if we were more aware of sin's true nature, what it means to God, what it means to us, the punishment it deserves, how evil and vile it is to God, and how evil and vile it is for God's child who's been bought by the blood of Christ to do those things. If if we would keep those things in mind, we would put to death the deeds of the flesh. The problem is we don't keep those things in mind. This list is, is an attempt to help us think about it from different angles that we will keep those things in mind. God really does all the way hate sin. Jesus died for it. He actually does hate it. He actually does care about his own holiness. And when we, as his children... Sin, we're belying that very salvation. That's the first thing I want to say about it. The second thing is we do this in the power of the Spirit. I'm not writing a new list on the wall. Nine, nine things long, right? The Ten Commandments is ten. Well, this one's only nine, so it's going to be easier, right? No, I'm not writing a new list on the wall for that purpose. I'm just trying to help think about what God thinks about sin and the impact that it has on our lives, but this is done by the power of the Holy Spirit. How do we walk and obey God in the power of the Spirit? Well, it may it may help to look at it the other way. How do we walk and try to obey God in our own flesh? We just decide we're going to do it, right? We write the list on the wall. We we make the resolution. We have a strong will, and we're just going to go do this thing, right? And we just go and do it, right? And we may accomplish it to some greater or lesser degree. That's done in our own flesh. But doing things in the power of the Spirit means that we've identified what God wants us to do. Okay, so I know this is a good thing to do. I'm going to do what God wants me to do, right? I can't accomplish that thing. But God told me to do it. What do I do? I pray and ask the Lord, you said do this thing. I can't accomplish that thing. But I'm going to go do it in the power of the Spirit. Lord, I'm going to go and obediently walk through those steps you just told me to do. I can't do it on my own. You told me to do it, and so I trust in your Holy Spirit, who lives within me and who gives life to my mortal body, to obey in that way. I'm going to go and do this thing, trusting you every step of the way that you would carry me through it. That's obedience by the Spirit. And so, when I give this list of nine things, don't let it be overwhelming, and don't 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 think that this is uh, me trying to come up with a you know an even more plausible list of ways for us to obey in the flesh. No, this is done by the power of the Spirit. Quickly, I want to walk through these. Number one, just write down dangerous symptoms, and I'll explain what that means. Dangerous symptoms. Ask whether the sin that you are seeking to kill shows any special dangerous symptoms. What do I mean by that? Of course, all sin is dangerous, right? But does it show any special dangerous symptoms? For example, are you frequently and readily giving in to that sin? Do you do this thing a lot? Is it kind of your habit? Is it, is it, is it what you do? Right? Maybe if gossip, let's say, let's say that sin is gossip, and you, you know, you get up in the morning, fire up Facebook. Why? So you can say hi to your friends. No, so you can see, what, you know, what so and so did or said, or like you're you're feeding that gossip. Do you do this regularly? Is that something that you do regularly? Does it have dangerous symptoms? Do you? Uh, is your only motivation for avoiding doing that sin that you're going to get caught and get in trouble? Well, that's pretty dangerous. If it's something you do regularly, that's pretty dangerous. So, one, dangerous symptoms. Think about the dangerous symptoms of the sin. Second, think about sin's guilt. That's your second thing there, sin's guilt. Get a clear sense in your mind of the sense of of the guilt and the danger and the evil of that sin. Think about it for the way it truly is. Whatever the sin is, if it's gossip, yeah, you guys, you know, But but sometimes you can kind of find a place where you, you know, Gossip happens with another person, right? And so the other person apparently thought gossip was just fine, too. And so we don't think that that sin is that big a deal because we found a place where it's okay. But think about it the way God thinks about it. Think about it as it truly is. Think about its guilt and its danger and its evil. You're harboring a sin that Christ came to destroy, and you're harboring it. You're harboring an enemy in your heart where the Holy Spirit dwells. So think about that. Sin's guilt. Thirdly, sin's punishment. Again, we're just trying to think about our sin from different angles, to think about it the way the Bible talks about it, so that we will really remember what it's like. Sin's punishment. Meditate on the punishment that sin deserves. And is this how we repay God's loving kindness? It deserves such punishment. And who bears that punishment for the sin that I choose to do, the sin that I harbor? Jesus does. Think about sin's punishment. Fourthly, desire deliverance. Desire deliverance. So now that you have a sense of the gravity of your sin, develop a deep and constant longing for deliverance from the power of that sin over you. Desire to be free from it. Boy, it's a problem when we don't want to get rid of our sin. When we keep it, when it's a pet sin. Right? We sort of repent from it a little bit, maybe in front of people or whatever, but it's secretly we kind of want to go back to it. We know that we're going to go back to it. Desire deliverance from that sin. Fifthly, natural vulnerability. Natural vulnerability. Consider whether there is something in your nature that makes you particularly susceptible to that sin. We each are kind of wired differently. We're aware of that, right? It makes us... You know, it makes us go into certain sins kind of by the nature of who we are. And I think if you think about yourself for just a second or two, you'll, you'll probably identify what those things are like. If that's the case, then Owen recommends that we take up fasting, that we learn and practice fasting. Because what's happening is when I'm doing what my body naturally wants to do, I'm sinning the way my body, nat- my body, I mean myself, my makeup, the way I naturally want to sin. And when I fast, what am I saying to my body and to my nature? I'm saying I have other things more important than food right now. I have other things more important than what my body wants me to do or what my flesh wants me to do. And I'm going to prioritize God and prayer over this need, whether it's legitimate or not, that my body, that my myself has. And so I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to skip a meal Every now and again and just say, I don't care if I'm hungry or not. That's not the point. I'm obeying God here. There's nothing wrong with food, of course. But I'm saying to my body, you are second. Your desires are second behind God's desires. And so we need to develop a sense of that in the areas of our natural vulnerability. Sixthly, opportunity. Boy, this is practical. Opportunity. Be on your guard against times when you are especially vulnerable to temptation to that sin. You know when it is. Be on your guard against that time. Don't walk into it blindly. Opportunity. Seventhly, act immediately. Act immediately. When temptation in this area arises, act on it immediately. Don't just go blindly into that sin. Oh, well, I'm being tempted to do this thing again. I guess, you know, I've done it before and whatever. No, act immediately. I'm not going to do that this time. I'm going to trust in the Lord to resist this temptation. I'm going to draw near to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from me. Act immediately. Eighth, God's loftiness. God's loftiness. Meditate regularly on the greatness of God and how infinitely higher than us he is. We are finite and fallen and He is infinite and He is holy. And think about that distance. God's loftiness. Ninthly, don't rush it. Don't rush it. Be careful not to comfort yourself about how well you're doing with this sin before God gives you that comfort. Wait for Him to comfort you. What we do when we rush to comfort ourselves is we've we've kind of brushed over that thing, and now we think we're past it. We didn't steal the vitality of that sin at all. It's still there. So that's a list of nine things. Again, that's not nine things to go on the wall. That's nine ways for you to think about your sin. It's intended to be helpful. God really does hate sin, so let's think about it in the terms that God does. God's method. The first part of it is dealing death. The second part is nurturing life. Nurturing life. Back to Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to read a couple of different sections here. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Set your minds on things that are above. Seek the things that are above. Look at chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. He goes on a rant. Verse 9, we'll start there. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's... Chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if any one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Seek the things of God. Pursue them. Keep them on your mind. Go after them. He is your life. He is your hope. Set your minds on things that are above. Don't set your minds on earthly things. Don't be satisfied with Facebook gossip. Don't be satisfied with things of this earth. At best... The things of this earth are temporary and distracting and at worst they're evil and they're the very things that Jesus died for. Seek the things that are above. Set your mind on things that are above. Seek God. Set your mind on him. Stop being lazy and just thinking about the things that you see because it's easy to do. Open your eyes of faith and set them on Christ alone. And put on the new self. Put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Put on compassionate hearts, kindness, etc. Put on love. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Ephesians 2. This is one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. But God made you alive together with Christ. He has given us life. So put on the new self. Put on the new self. Put off the old self. Your sinful desires. Put those things away. We talked about how to do that. And put on the new self. Fan into flame your new life in Christ. And you do that by seeking the things that are above. By putting on the new self. And thirdly, by utilizing the means of grace. That's a a term we maybe don't use all that much. And all it means is the means God has given us to put ourselves in the way of grace where he can work on us. He can work on us. What are those means of grace? How do we put ourselves in the way of God's grace and, and working in our lives? You're doing it right now, first of all, hearing God's word preached. Hearing. Reading. We do this when we read God's word. Read big chunks, read little chunks, read the Bible, do it every day. Do it every day. Read the Bible. This is where he talks to us about where this new life is. This is where he talks to us about his hatred for sin. This is where he talks to us about how high and lifted up he is. This is where he talks to us about grace. So read God's word and meditate on it. Stick it in your mind and carry it with you everywhere you go and meditate on it. If you have a commute, you are a blessed person. Meditate on God's word. Meditate. Turn it over in your mind. The idea, the eastern concept of meditation, as I understand it, is that you empty your mind. The biblical concept of meditation is that you fill it with God's word. And you chew on it. And you wrestle with it. And when you get a few memory verses in your mind, all of a sudden you start seeing concepts come together. And you start growing in your faith. And you you start growing in grace. And you're fanning into life. This new life that you have in Christ Christ. Hearing, reading, meditating, watching and praying. Look for God. Look for God to be at work. Watch for temptation. Watch for God at work in the world. Be watching and careful. Have the eyes of faith open to what's going on and pray. Praying. Praying is an important part of the means of grace. Go to God. We go to God because He is infinite. He's sovereign. And he loves us enough to let us come and pray to him. He has actual control over events in your life. He has actual control over your heart and the hearts of other people. And so he's the one to go to. Struggling in a relationship? Well, you could do battle with that person, right? And that, you know, very often doesn't end up too well. Or you can pray to the God of that person. The one who is sovereign over even the heart that's within that person to do his work in the secret places. We pray every time we come to God in prayer, we're acknowledging that he is God and I'm not. And that's powerful. That's powerful means of grace and worship. The last one here is worship. There are others, but this is where I want to camp. Worship. Come to God and declare he is holy. Rejoice and praise him for what he has done in your life. Lift him up because he is worth lifting up. We worship so many things in our lives. And he's the only one worthy of worship. So let's worship him. And as we do, we are changed. We're changed as we behold him as he really is. So you have the idea there of putting to death the deeds of the flesh. And you have the idea of fanning into flame your new life in Christ you've been made alive but how can you contribute how can you nurture it how can you how can you cause growth in this area and I, I think of it in terms of feeding and starving it's 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 more than that right but you want to feed your new man and you want to starve the old man right where you 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 have affections you have energy you have attention you have uh your life that you're living and you can either be investing here in the old man or you can invest here in the new man The things that you love, the things that you pursue, where you spend your time, what you turn over in your mind. I said if you're, if you have a commute, you're a blessed person. You get to meditate on God's Word. But I bet if you were honest, very often you're not meditating on God's Word. Right? You're maybe worried about things of life or maybe something, you know, worse that you're meditating on. Take that meditation time and instead of investing it here in the old man that makes him stronger and, and makes sin more powerful in your life, and invest that over here. Meditate on God's Word. Meditate on what God wants us to do and see that new man grow and, and, and mature as you nurture him. We have the option of doing that. Let's, let's put to death the deeds of the body, the deeds of the flesh. Let's no longer invest energy this way. And not only are we going to starve food to this old man, but let's deliberately put to death those deeds. Think about that sin in those nine ways we talked about. Think about how God actually thinks about that sin. Get that fixed in your mind. Think about the danger of it. Think about the evil of it. Think about the punishment that it deserves. Think about how hideous that thing is to God. It's not that he doesn't like it. He hates it. And here you are his child, the one that he gave his own son for. And you go after that thing? Think about that and get that in your mind and put that thing to death. And instead invest over here. Spend your life investing, growing. We do that by worshiping, we do that by prayer, we do that by all of the means of grace. Lest that be too hard for us, I want to conclude with two verses from First Thessalonians chapter five. "Now may the God of peace sanctify you completely." And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who called you is faithful. He will surely do it. That's encouraging to me. Let's pray. Father, this has been a, a heavy topic as we talk about our sin. I don't like to think about or talk about my sin, but it turns out I I still sin. Lord, I pray that you would take the passages that we've looked at, the words we've talked about, and that you would use them to do business in our hearts. It's not okay for us to think lightly of sin. You didn't think lightly of sin. You thought enough of it. You hated it enough that you sent your son to die for it, that you could redeem us, that we could know you. So, Lord, help us, I pray. All of this would be rules. All of this would be a clever way to uh, attack a problem in our life and strategic and whatnot. Um, but it would be just as doomed as the Colossians method if we didn't have your Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And so we rejoice that we do and we pray, Lord, that you by your spirit would sanctify us completely. And our whole spirit and soul and body. Lord, do that. Work in us by your spirit as we seek to obey in these ways, as we seek to turn away from sin and turn towards you. I pray that we would do it by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would trust you in prayer before, during and after to uh, to help us in this obedience that we can't accomplish in our own. And even if it looks like we obey, if we're on our own, it didn't accomplish what we thought. Lord, we need your work in our lives, and I pray your blessing on this group here. I pray that you would draw them to yourself in these ways. I pray that you, by your spirit, would work in their hearts and in my heart. And that you will surely do it. We praise you for that. pray in Jesus' name. Amen.